Hey guys, I'm Ryan Becker, and the episode that you're about to hear is a special episode that I recorded uh, based on some experiences that I had just this week with this issue. And you'll notice that there's a lot more shaky breasts, there's a lot more shakiness in my voice in some of this as well, because this is a major topic that I'm addressing today, and it's a, it's a highly sensitive one as well, not to say that any of the others that I have talked about aren't, uh, but specifically to me, it's been an area that the Lord has really been working on me in. And so be patient with me as I attempt to communicate and share with you some of the perspectives and experiences that I've had uh, around this very important topic. So enjoy this special episode of The Absurdity in Absurd Gray. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Absurdity. Today I have a special episode for you. I didn't want to number this one, I wanted to kind of leave this one different because it's going to set the the groundwork for a lot of the discussions I have. And I also want to encourage you guys with a topic that I've been working on in my heart, that the Lord has been working on in my heart uh, for a number of years. And this has been one of the biggest things. It's been an area where I have fought with myself and with others on and it's a hot-button topic as well. And my growth in this, my change in this, uh, it's been slow going. And so for that, I'm sorry because in that slow going process, people have been hurt. Um, and I've caused damage. But over the last few years, I have learned a lot more about LGBTQ plus matters. And I've come a long way in my understanding in in my treatment of anyone within that group. And so today I want to talk about that treatment. I want to talk about how we enter conversations. And I want to share in this special episode a little bit about what I've learned, because I believe it's important to understand some semantic issues we face. In other words, some of the, some of the issues we face regarding word meaning and, and phrase meaning, and what we are really saying when we discuss any of these things with people. And my goal in this episode is not to change your mind. It's not to take some theological stance on the matter. My goal specifically today is to equip you to have better conversations about this topic. I want us to think about the words that we use, the things that we imply when we use those words, and to realize that sometimes it's not my mouth that's what's needed. Sometimes it's just my ears. And so maybe this, is maybe this issue isn't as simple as we like to think. Regardless of where we land on the matter as Christians or non-Christians, I have seen far more destruction taking place because of how we handle these conversations. And so I want to start by saying I'm sorry for the ways in which I have contributed to this. Speaking of people with blanket statements and assuming things about their character by my language and posture toward these honest conversations, while I may have been well-intentioned in a lot of the things I've said in the past, sometimes I've caused damage because of the way I spoke and the words that I used. And so to those of you that I have wronged that are listening to this, and I've wronged you with any sort of hate-filled speech or any implication that I did not mean or otherwise, uh, I'm sorry. And so moving forward... I will give some foundational terms, and I will give some foundational phrases I often see in these discussions on Facebook and otherwise, in, in churches and in youth groups, uh, in classrooms, and I want, to give, I want to give them some context and definition and explain why I think that those aren't necessarily the best, best words and phrases to go about these conversations with. And then we're going to look into scripture and see some of the historical context and scriptural comparisons around this issue. And so I pray that you will listen with an open heart and mind as we dive in. 
And I hope that you will be willing to admit some things that may be hard to admit. But I must preface this by saying this is my perspective and it's a result of my experiences and study. And so, of course, I encourage you to keep researching this and studying it for yourself. The things that I say may not necessarily be taught in upper Adventist institutions. It may not necessarily be taught in your church or otherwise. And so what I'm saying is not anything as a direct representative of the Adventist church. What I'm simply saying is anything that I say here is a result of my own experience. And so I'm not trying to preach to you uh, like superior doctrine or do anything that is against anything in line with any of the churches that I represent. That is not my goal here. My goal is simply to dive into a conversation that is currently being had and do so in an honest format. So I would encourage you to keep researching this and studying this for yourself. And my only caveat is that you would do this with an open heart and an open mind. I have found that the main thing keeping me from delving into this matter for years has been my own fear of being wrong and the ramifications thereof. It wasn't scripture, it wasn't anything else, I was just afraid of disagreeing with the popular opinion within the church. And I hid behind this uncertainty as my excuse to not address those fears. And so as we move forward in this, let's keep this verse in 1 Corinthians 13.2 in mind. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. So I don't care how right you may be, If you are not loving in your methods, in your delivery, your love, or your rightness doesn't matter. Your rightness doesn't matter if you are not loving in your methods, in your delivery. All of this topic, in order to be treated with love, deserves careful treatment and research. Real lives and real humans, real people, are at stake And chances are those lives could be sitting next to you in class or in church or at work. And so this isn't something to just be taken lightly. If you have not given this any sort of uh, major thought and major time from your life, then you cannot move forward in saying that you have treated this with love and care. Because when you love and care about someone, you take the time to understand them and to do the research. And so today I want to possibly introduce you to a couple of phrases that you've probably used. Phrases that I know I have used and I see others use, and I want to, and I want to understand. I want you to understand why some of those may be damaging and why we may misunderstand each other when we use them. So the first term that I want to talk about is the term homosexual lifestyle, and I see this a lot from Christians. They say, "Well, homosexuality itself isn't wrong; it's just the lifestyle. LGBTQ plus is not the issue. It's it's just the lifestyle that's the issue." And this I hear a lot, and I know what people mean. I know they mean uh, behaviors and otherwise, but, but there's a difficulty in this because it assumes a whole lot about someone. See, if you admit that you're a homosexual, automatically you become associated with a lifestyle, regardless of whether that lifestyle is your own. Allow me to give you an example. I'm straight, I'm white, and I live a lifestyle where Uh, I intend to be in a relationship with one person, I intend to get married to one person and have a monogamous relationship with them uh, for life, right? That is my goal. My lifestyle includes not going to bars to get drunk. My lifestyle does not include abusing any sort of drug or otherwise. My lifestyle is uh, going to church, preaching, and, and working in the church. That's my lifestyle. And that is a heterosexual lifestyle because I, I also want to do that with a, a woman, 
right? I want to have a the monogamous relationship with a woman. Likewise, someone who does the exact opposite of me wants to have sex with as many women as possible, or a woman that wants to have sex with as many men as possible, someone who cheats on their lover or cheats on their on their significant other, someone who uh, will constantly go out and get drunk or uh, be a glutton or engage in any sort of promiscuity, but they do so from a perspective that they are straight, guess what? That's also a heterosexual lifestyle. And so if someone comes up to me and says the heterosexual lifestyle is wrong, I'd say, no, 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 the way I'm not, the way I'm living is not the same way as them. They may be heterosexual and I may be heterosexual, but it doesn't mean that we have the same lifestyle. And so the problem with homosexuality, uh, a homosexual lifestyle when we say that term, we are implying that all homosexuals or all people of LGBTQ plus have the exact same lifestyle, and that is not the case. And I would argue whether homosexuality is right or wrong, promiscuity, no matter what, is wrong. That is clearly condemned in Scripture. But for us to assume a lifestyle or a certain way of living on someone is wrong. We do not know necessarily the lifestyle. Now, if you do know, that's a different story and that's a completely different conversation to have. But chances are, if someone comes out to you and says, hey, I'm gay, but they've been going to church with you for years and they've been doing all of this for, uh, all of these these normal things with you for years and you haven't seen any promiscuity from them, then for you to say, oh, well, I just don't think the homosexual homosexual lifestyle that you're living is right. What lifestyle? We must be clear in what lifestyle we are defining because not everyone is promiscuous. Not everyone does the things that are defined as as sin in Scripture. And so uh, let's be clear about when we say homosexual lifestyle and which, which lifestyle is actually wrong. And the next thing I want to go over is uh, homosexuality is sinful. That is, that is another one. Homosexuality itself is sinful. This one is is difficult because we have clearly, I've heard this from professors, teachers, pastors, friends, uh, peers in ministry, wh- whoever you want. The, the, our, the kind of consensus that we've come to is that it is not necessarily wrong to be homosexual as a church. We've come to this conclusion. It is wrong to engage in that kind of behavior in, in, in homosexuality, sex, and, and intercourse, right? And so that that's kind of where the church has landed on it that 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 being gay necessarily is, isn't wrong but acting on those feelings is when we say homosexuality is sinful then we're saying the state of being a homosexual is sinful and that's not necessarily the case it can be argued that homosexuality is a result of sin but that does not necessarily mean it's sinful in and of itself a, a shorter life expectancy is a result of sin. If you look at Genesis, you see that Adam lived to be over 900. Noah preached for 120 years before the ark was even built. Uh, you had people regularly living in uh, early biblical times for a long time. And yet today we have life expectancies of around 70 to 80 to 90 years. And it's amazing when someone hits 100. And yet somehow we do not bar someone for uh, from going to church because of a lower life expectancy than Adam and Eve had. Because let's be real, the way that things were in the garden were ideal, and the way things were after is not ideal, right? And so if we're going to take Genesis and the results of sin seriously, then we need to understand that sometimes things can be the result of sin, and that doesn't necessarily make them sinful. 
homosexuality, the state of being LGBTQ+, is not sinful in and of itself. The state of being anyone in that circle is not wrong. And so this is why it's also wrong to assume a lifestyle on someone, and this is why that does so much damage, because you're assuming something of someone that you don't know is true. If you think that it's the homosexual behaviors, specifically around sex or intercourse, that are wrong, then we need to be speaking precisely about that. And yeah, that means that we are no longer lazy in what we type. That means that our comments get a little bit longer. That's okay. Because I would rather speak precisely and not be misunderstood in that manner than to cause undue damage to someone else. When we talk about this issue, we need to be talking and walking with utmost care. It is important to not speak rashly. We need to be double-checking what we're saying and to make sure that what we mean is being communicated properly because too many lives have been destroyed and lost because of the careless words of caring people, and of hateful people. So homosexual lifestyle, let's let's get rid of saying that because there are several there's a lifestyle for every single person. A lifestyle is as unique as the person who lives it. My heterosexual lifestyle may differ from your heterosexual lifestyle. And I know how you might feel if you're a straight person listening to this and someone says that the heterosexual lifestyle is wrong because you're like, well, well my, my lifestyle differs from other heterosexuals. How could you say that about me? And that's exactly how LGBTQ plus people will respond to this. I don't live the same lifestyle as others. Why are you accusing me of something that you don't even know is true about me or is not true about me at all? And the other thing is we need to be clear on what we're defining as sin or not sin. We can't be using these blanket statements like homosexuality is sinful, LGBTQ plus is sinful. That's not necessarily the case. The results of sin do not equal sin. And so let's walk with utmost care in these matters. The next thing I want to talk about is something that you've, you may have heard me mention before, but that's okay because it's something that will be a reoccurring theme uh, throughout this show. There are six major texts in regard to homosexuality. They're used, they're, they're the ones that we typically go to. Six. There are 31,102 verses in Scripture. 31,000, and we've weaponized six to ostracize an entire group of people. And there are several well-meaning, well-intentioned, devout Jesus followers and Christians who have used these six verses, these six texts, to categorize entire groups of people. And this is, this is the part that I've talked about before, but if we are willing to ostracize over six vague verses about homosexuality, then how much more should we be willing to serve over 2,100 Verses about standing up for the oppressed, the poor, the orphan, and the widow. How much more to action should we be moved by over 2,000 verses on a subject rather than just six? And that discrepancy, as long as we allow it to, to live inside of us, that is sinful because you're picking and choosing what parts of scripture that you're going to follow in this matter. You're saying, yes, I'm going to use this to ostracize and judge a group, but I'm not going to use these this... Uh, exponentially bigger portion of scripture, larger portion of scripture to change how I live. 
And I think that's part of the other issue around LGBTQ plus issues is that we we tend to be more passionate about the issues that others face rather than the issues that we face. Because it's a lot easier to speak out on something that you're not personally dealing with. There's not as much uh, skin in the game. It's a lot easier to focus on someone else's behaviors and why those are wrong than to admit our own behaviors may be wrong as well. How much more should we be moved to act over 2,100 verses over six? And I want to talk about just the historical context around one of these such verses, and it, uh, it comes from Romans 1. And this is one of the most commonly used ones in Scripture. This is one of uh, the most commonly used ones in, in, in these conversations, and so we're going to go over it a bit. It, it, it's near the end uh, it's talking about God's wrath against sinful humanity. And in this, Paul writes this about uh, mid AD 50s is when people have um, have kind of dated this to, so AD 52, 53-ish. Uh, and, and Paul is writing this to the Romans. Most likely he's writing from Corinth. And in this, he says uh, in verse uh, 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to in, this, in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And now we're getting to the difficult part. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so this is the this is the kind of the heart of it. This is the part where 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 people are like this is clearly talking about homosexuality. And so we're going to get into a bit about the historical context around Romans 1, because this may not be as clear as we like to think it is. I want to talk about an emperor, a Roman emperor, uh, who lived around the time of, uh, or just after uh, Jesus, just as this is around the time that the Gospels are being written uh, a little bit before. Uh, his name was Emperor Gaius Caligula, and he ruled from AD 37 to 41. And this man was known to be perverted. He would often invite nobles and others to his banquet hall, and he would choose one of their wives and take them to bed right to then and there. And then he would come and report publicly about uh, their, their, the, the quality of their women in bed and their performance. And he would violate their marriages right in front of them. He would build golden idols of himself, and he actually ordered one to be built in the temple, temple of Jerusalem as well. He was hailed as a god by a lot of the people. There were people that referred to him as Jupiter. And it is also reported by one of his generals and by several others as well that, that he lived in habitual incest with his sisters and that he also prostituted them to young homosexual lovers. It's also reported that he had sexual relationships with multiple men, an actor and uh, the member of a, of a noble family as well. This man would kill for fun. He was known for closing up the granaries and letting people die of famine, throwing people in the Colosseum into the gladiator pits. He was known for these things. 
He was known to be a glutton and a partier. He was known for a style of execution in which they would feel that they are dying. In other words, he would rarely execute someone except by slight wounds that would add up. And in AD 41, several men conspired against him. They came up and assassinated him. Similar to how Julius Caesar was assassinated. He was stabbed over 30 times, including through his genitals. The very things that he would use to violate the rights and the dignity of others and the sanctity of marriages which had been long established. And Paul writes Romans about 12 to 15 years after Gaius ruled, right? AD 50s, somewhere in there. And Roman culture was steeped in a lot of this kind of behavior. Men would regularly lay with boys that were not yet men. And these boys were seen as a third gender until they became men. And so there was, as we would define it today, pedophilia and sexual abuse happening in Rome. And it was naturally accepted as a part of society. And so when you read Romans 1 with these things in mind, suddenly you start to be able to connect the dots. Because this is a promiscuous, this is a, this is a sinful behavior and attitude toward these things. But this does not sound like a monogamous, loving relationship. This sounds like people being abused. This sounds like people being hurt. This sounds like men taking advantage of others and women taking advantage of others. This was not people fighting for same-sex marriage. This was not for people fighting for equality under the law. This was homosexuality and orgies for the sake of pleasure. And, and regardless of what gender was involved, this was an affront to anything that God had set up in any sanctity and in any way at creation or otherwise. This was the culture that, that Paul is talking to. This is the historical context around this. And my point is not to say that, oh, that, does, that, that suddenly means that homosexuality is okay or not okay. I'm not, that's not my purpose here today. What I'm trying to communicate with this historical context and with this, this delving into this text is that maybe this isn't so black and white as we would like to think. Even some of the words that are translated from the original Greek, scholars are still arguing about today over their meaning and exact translation. In fact, the word homosexuality really didn't, I think, appear into, into the scriptures in English until uh, around the 1950s. We didn't really get that, uh, get that in there. And someone can fact check me on that and I'll, I'll publish a correction if I need to. And here's my point, if the issue isn't black and white, if the issue is more gray than we think, and maybe that the, the homosexuality that scripture is talking about is a bit far removed than the one today, then perhaps we should not be so quick to condemn or ostracize a group that we can't even be 100% sure that scripture is even condemning. The modern idea of homosexuality seems to be aiming for a monogamous, loving relationship between two people. And I would argue that any promiscuous lifestyle, straight or gay, is wrong. Promiscuity and general sexual immorality is clearly condemned in Scripture, but a loving, monogamous relationship between two straight people is encouraged in Scripture. While that same relationship between two gay people seems to be largely not even considered in Scripture. At least the modern idea, that monogamous relationship. In the film Seventh Gay Adventist, 
there's a lesbian woman. Uh, she's in a, she uh, has a significant other, and they, they're raising a daughter together. And, and it's been a couple of years since I've seen the movie, so I'm going to paraphrase this quote. It's, just, it's one that stuck with me when I saw this documentary. said, for years, I've been praying to God for rid me of my homosexuality. But in all that time that he hasn't, I felt him working on my pride. You need to work on your anger. You need to work on your behavior. And so to her, it seemed that God was more concerned about the matters of her heart rather than the matters of her sexual identity or her attraction to others. And if God isn't seeming to make that a big deal to the person who, who is in the middle of it, then maybe we are making it a bigger deal than it actually needs to be. And maybe I should be more concerned with my own bedroom rather than to be so trigger-happy to cast light on someone else's. Because this issue is far more complex and real lives are far more complex than what we've tried to boil them down to. And there's damage being done in these conversations that in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways is, is, is irreversible. People have taken their own lives, and if Scripture is supposed to breathe life into people, yet it's driving them to suicide and depression and pain, then maybe we need to rethink how we're communicating, and maybe we need to rethink how we approach this issue, this topic. I'm not saying change your mind. I'm not saying that tomorrow uh, we should elect someone who is LGBTQ plus to uh, to be the Adventist president. That's not, that's not my point. Because I still am trying to figure this all out myself. My point is this. Let's approach these conversations with honesty that is intellectual and honesty that is loving. By saying, maybe this isn't as black and white as I thought it was. Let's acknowledge the gray areas for what they are. Gray. And let's try to understand perspectives and listen to one another more. And let's be intentional and deliberate about how we communicate and the language we use because real lives are at stake. This isn't just an issue, and I hate using the word issue. Because these are real people with real feelings who are really hurting because of our carelessness as Christians in conversation and our attitude towards it, and the carelessness with which we speak. These are real people. And if you are listening to this, and you, you belong to this group, I want you to be encouraged, because there is love for you, and there is grace for you, and there is mercy for you. There is a God who loves you, and there is a God who is walking with you, and is hurting right along with you. And be encouraged by that. I don't know how this journey ends, but I know that this journey is rough and it's hard for you. And I know it's been difficult in ways beyond anything that I can imagine and anything that I've experienced in my life. And I want to acknowledge that and affirm you in the walk that you've walked so far. Keep moving forward. And for those of you who are wondering a little bit more about some historical context, a great uh, resource that I found recently uh, is uh, a friend of mine, Kurt Willems. Uh, who has his own podcast called The Paul Cast. He's currently studying uh, for, I believe, a doctorate in Pauline studies. And he does a podcast called The Paul Cast, that, and there's the episode Paul, Homophobia, Gender, and Love. And he breaks down some of the Roman culture that existed around the time of the New Testament. And he's not in there to, 
to change your mind on anything. He simply poses some questions and explores what it meant to be a Roman in the New Testament biblical times. And now I want to uh, acknowledge the fear that I spoke of earlier, the fear that I had. Because this is a hot-button issue, and this is one that has caused a lot of damage, and so the fear to approach it, the fear to talk about it, is real. Even Upper Adventism hasn't really done major research into the topic. Our statement pretty much uh, is safe, to say the least. And most research that you will find comes from other denominations and other scholars if you're trying to search from within Adventism. We really don't have a whole ton on it. And there is real fear to dive into this because of what it could mean one way or another for Christians and for homosexuals and LGBTQ plus in general. And it's far easier to ignore it or pretend like it doesn't exist. And so I know that fear is real. I had it for years, and yet here I am now talking about it. It makes us nervous, it makes us uneasy, it makes us a bit shaky, because we never really want to offend someone, and it's so easy to, to trip up and say something wrong. No one wants to get into those long Facebook arguments. No one wants to, to be the person on the news who did something really stupid and was talking really insensitively. But unless we move forward willing to take those risks and to have those conversations, and unless we are willing to confront whatever truth lay in front of us on both sides of the issue, we will not learn, we will not grow, and we will allow people to continue living in the darkness that self-loathing, shame, and anger bring by, by our silence and our inaction. But we need to be casting light on that shame and on that anger and on that self-loathing and, and to let people know it's safe to step out of it, that they don't have to live in that. And so as you deal with this topic in your own life, as you move forward in conversations, whether you're reading them from others or taking part in them yourselves or hearing them from others, whether you're leading those conversations in your church, whether you're a minister who's trying to start a conversation, whatever it may be, I want to leave you with this encouragement that Paul gave to Timothy. And it's in first, uh, Tim, I think actually second Timothy, second Timothy one verse seven, where Paul says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So let's cast aside that fear and let's move forward with the spirit that God gave us of love and self-control. My prayer for you as you move from this podcast episode uh, into your daily life is that you would rethink how you go about this conversation, that you would explore the ways in which you communicate and find the language and the words that are inclusive and that are uplifting and that edify people instead of tearing them down because we need to be building bridges and speaking life into people. And if we are not doing that, then we have no love. And if I have the gift of prophecy, if I have faith that can move a mountain and I don't have love, then I am nothing. So thanks for listening to this special episode of The Absurdity. Uh, I hope that you were enlightened in some ways. I hope that you were encouraged in others. And I hope that you are better equipped to go about some of these conversations, maybe getting rid of some language that's hurtful and painful and replacing it with language that builds people up and is, and is edifying. I know that I have used these, these words, these terms, and ignored this context for years. 
And so I was in that boat, and I'm still getting out of the boat. And I know that there's way more for me to learn about these things as well. So be encouraged as you do the same. Once again, you can find The Absurdity on iTunes. Just search The Absurdity with Ryan Becker. Uh, You can subscribe there. You can visit the website, www.theabsurdity.org. If you subscribe on iTunes, please leave a review. Let me know. And remember, this is about creating dialogue and discussion. So if you disagree with me, that's okay. I invite it because I want this to create discussion and conversation. So I hope you'll take care. I hope that you will move forward in a spirit of love and self-control. That is my prayer for you today. See you next time.